This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca. And ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. It's already March. Usually that means we're heading down the home stretch for the regular season. No, 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 no. We're only at the quarter pole, but still. Weather's starting <laughs> to warm up a little bit and gives you kind of a good feel. And what always gives me a good feel, and he's given me an occasional good feel every once in a while, is E.J. Raddick. How are oh, you, nice. sir? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, I thought it was an okay feel, but I mean, you know, you know, I'll let you be the judge. Well, that, I, I was the recipient, so I will be the judge. And <laughs> you always, uh, you always How make it a you? good time, buddy. How are you? Oh, well, thank you. I try. I do what I can. I do what uh, I can. Uh, I'm good. Everything's good. Um, getting ready for uh, another week. I got a uh, personal note. My kids' team is U16s. We're going to our playoffs this weekend, so that'll be exciting. Nice. Unfortunately, my son is out with a broken thumb. Oh, no. So it's a little bit of heartbreaking. Did it happen on the ice or doing something else? No, it happened on the ice. It wasn't even a bad – it was a nothing play. He just got squeezed off along the boards. and You know, he kind of shook his hand, went back to the bench, came back, finished the game, last couple shifts, and then after the game, didn't speak to the trainer or anything, just, you know, on the way home, it's like, oh, my hand hurts. (laughs) <laughs> okay that's what happens right so like jacob trooper broke his thumb and we were all surprised about it at the end you know when we found out he wasn't returning for the third period i, I guess those things happen everywhere yeah. yes and that's what i you know because people like listen i'm i'm a big believer in trying to play through it if you can i mean if, you know obviously 16 year olds are different than professional athletes but you know i mean he wants to play and if you could play through it, you could play through it. But the problem is, and this is a great example, Jacob Truba makes $8 million to play in the National Hockey League, and he's out four to six weeks with a broken thumb. So, you know, my son, who's 16 years old, as much as he wants to play and I would love to see him play, there's some injuries that just have to heal, and that's one of them. And uh, it's really unfortunate because, you know, in his case, you only get to go through the, hmm. you know, U16 playoffs once. So, you know, that's uh, the way it is. But, uh you know, it just goes to show you that uh, in all athletics and all sports, like there are weird injuries that can just, you know, take you out of the mix. And so that's that. Well, congratulations for a speedy to recovery for both him and, and, J- and Jacob Truba. That's right. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and you're focused on one more than the other, that is for sure. Now, Congratulations yeah. to Patrick Kane, a 400th goal oh, yesterday. Gorgeous goal, yeah. too. That's the perfect goal to score yeah. for, for number 400. Um, yeah. Usually this is somebody, one of the fans or the listeners on Twitter, but I'll throw it out to you because I was thinking about it a lot last night. Where does he rank among yeah. the American-born players in the history of this sport? Well, I mean, he, he might end up being the greatest American-born player when all is said and done. I mean, because, I mean, he's got the the individual statistics, right? 400, I would say he's probably going to get to 500. He's a great playmaker as well. And he's been part of uh, what you could call kind of a dynasty of sorts in our, in our era, right? I mean, we don't see back-to-back Stanley Cup champions like we did in the 70s and 80s and in the previous history of this game. Um, you know, now we've only seen the Red Wings 97-98 and then the Penguins, and I believe it was 16-17, and 17, right? So uh, you don't see too many back-to-back champs. The Blackhawks were able to win three times in five years, right? So um, I think you have to put them on that list. I mean, you can go back to the, you know, Brian Leaches or the Chris Chelioses or the, you know, any number of great American players that uh, there have been. 
But I think Patrick Kane is certainly going to be on a very, very short list, if not at the top of that list, mm-hmm. when all is said and done. He's just been a great player, fun to watch. And uh, somebody that's just getting better, seemingly getting better with age. I mean, his, uh, his hockey IQ was always at a high level. It seems to be even at a higher level now. Uh, he's putting in the time and effort away from the rink, obviously. Like, that's stuff we don't see. But there's no way that he could continue to be playing at a, at as high a level as he's playing if he wasn't putting in that extra time and effort away from the rink. So he's uh, he's been a great uh, he's been a great great player for many years and fun to watch and uh, still right there. I mean, look at he's second in the league in scoring. It's amazing on a team that we didn't think was going to have any chance of being in the playoffs, and here they are. You know, as we sit here today, now there's a lot of things with games played, but they're sitting there in third place at least points wise in that division, which is kind of shocking. So, yeah, it is. I mean, he's high played. on my list, Donnie. He's high on my. Where is he on yours? I mean, does he does he get to the top or no? Yeah, I think he. I think he potentially can get to the top. I was just kind of thinking, who is my number one? And you might be surprised by this. I always had Brian Leach at one, just because of the position he played. Yeah, no, I'm not surprised. You know, I'm not surprised at all. I know a lot of people that really watched Leach and covered the Rangers and saw Leach on a day to day to day basis. You know, they, they always speak glowingly of Brian Leach, and, he's, and why not? He's, he was a great, great player. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could see him being on the short list as well. But uh, Patrick yeah. Kane, boy, he is what – a, what a career he's had. And it's not over yet. No, it's not <laughs> over yet. You're right. And, and he's gotten to see kind of the both sides of, you know, you know, joining a team that was about to pop and now kind of going through – you know, this rebuild that they're in and this kind of surprising season they're having. As you mentioned, they play 23 games, which is tied for the most in the National Hockey League, and that might have something to do with the fact that they're in a playoff position right now, but they've won seven of their last ten. They've been fairly consistent uh, all season long, so uh, maybe they can find a way into the playoffs, but he's kind of seen the two eras. You know, he joined a Blackhawk team who's trying to come out from under, you know, experiences the dynasty years, and now is trying to be part of what is – you know, a rebuild in Chicago. So he's kind of seen it all there, really, him and Taves. Yeah. 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 No question about it. And and the fact this year that not only are they doing so well, uh, you know, surprisingly so with this group, but there's no Taves and there's no Kirby Doc who were both hurt. And also uh, Nylander is also hurt, Alex Nylander. So, uh, you know, just a shocking story, the Chicago Blackhawks this year. I got to give everybody there a lot of credit because I had no – thought that this was going to be a team that would be uh you know this at this point would still be right in the mix of things and obviously Kane driving the bus with those 34 points Alex Debrinkat is uh is playing really well again he's got the 11 goals in 19 games so I mean and getting these contributions from this you know Pia Suter and you know Philip Kurashev I mean these are guys nobody had them on the radar at the start of the season Brandon Hagel I mean you know these are people you know who are these guys, and yet they come in and they've played really well. So you got to give uh, Jeremy Carlton and Stan Bowman and all those guys there a lot of credit because uh, nobody nobody saw it coming. Nobody saw this. Yeah, coming. no, absolutely not. Uh, the other big story um, since the last time we had you was the firing of Claude Julien in Montreal. And you do what you do. I mean, Claude's been there a long time. I get it. And coaches get fired. It, it's not a surprise in the National Hockey League. Probably as transient a position there is in sports when you think about it. Nobody seems to stick around very long. I guess what I took exception to, and I mentioned this on the podcast, DJ, you know, not meeting expectations. I mean, what what exactly were their expectations? I know they surprised Pittsburgh in the bubble last year. They got off to a tremendous start. But, you know, when you're relying on Toffoli and Petrie scoring most of your goals early on, I kind of just took exception to what exactly did you think the Canadians were going to be, 
And are, yeah. has has this dip, especially when you're getting nothing from your goaltender, really uh, failed expectations or bad coaching? How do you feel about it? Well, I think the I mean they got off to a great start, so that any expectations that were already high because right they had a pretty good run in the you know they had no expectations going into the bubble right in the return to play, they beat Pittsburgh, they give Philadelphia some uh, some trouble, and they play well, and uh, then on top of that uh, in the postseason, the the general manager there Mark Bergevin goes out and makes uh, you know several different deals. Resigned some players and reshapes the team. And when you look at their team, you know you really like their kind of uh, depth through their offensive lines and their uh, their group of defensemen. And then they have Carey Price. They added Jake Allen. I mean, you, you, the expectations got juiced probably out of this world between the additions and the way it all started. And then uh, you know, I, I, it's funny because Bruce Boudreaux, the former coach, works with us a bunch of times here at the NHL Network. I get to talk to him, which is which is fun because he's a terrific person and has so much, you know, history in this game and so much knowledge. And he just talked about the idea that you know, when you ever bring everybody in at the start, everybody's all excited. So they they had that excitement. They they got off to this great start, and you really thought, hey, the sky's the limit for this group. I mean, you really like their team. But as time went on that excitement kind of wears off. You settle into the day-to-day, and you're still relying on two young guys at center and Kakenyemi and, uh, and Suzuki. And, you know, and all of a sudden, you start to see the Montreal Canadiens are having trouble scoring because, as you point out, I mean, Tyler DeFoley was not going to score 706 goals this year. I mean, right. he was on this crazy pace to start the season, but you knew he was going to regress to the mean, and that's just what he's been over. There's, he's been a large sample size. He's a good player, and he's a good goal scorer, but he's you know, he's not going to score at that kind of rate during his uh, during his life. And the same can be said for Jeff Petrie, who got off to a great start and was very involved in the offense and still is playing well. But, you know, the offense has kind of dried up for the Montreal Canadiens, and then you add in the fact that uh, Carey Price has got a sub-900 save percentage, and, and now all of a sudden you have problems. And uh, so with that said, Mark Bergeman, who's been there a while now and who hired Claude Julien back in 2017, you know, he is – he has put his stick in the ground with this group and with these players and with the money that he spent. I think they spent over $100 million in the offseason, Don, during a pandemic. So this is, uh, you know, they've made quite a statement that they're ready to, to compete. And I think when he saw this team struggling a little bit, um, you know, he decided that, you know, it was time for a, a new voice there, maybe someone a little bit younger, a little bit more progressive for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, Deshaun was somebody that, uh, you know, he was, I think he was Mark Bergevin's uh, heir apparent, you know, just like Sheldon Keith maybe was the heir apparent in Toronto. And so uh, he gets the opportunity now. They say it's on an interim basis. I would think unless he really struggles, I would think he's going to end up being the coach. But, you know, the only thing I would also say is if the team continues to flounder, Mark Bergevin may be out, and then who knows what that means for the coach. So, right. uh, so I think you have to add all those things up. So is life fair for coaches in the NHL? No. Is it fair necessary for Claude Julien? Probably not. But he had a he had four years there, and, and you know some of the things, you know the problems they've had there have been problems they've had for years. Their their special teams haven't been great, and that's always something that you look at the coach to try to address in some way. And uh, he was not able to do that. I was a little surprised Kirk Muller went out the door with him. But, uh, you know, that is the nature of coaching in the NHL and coaching in all sports. Yeah. So, uh, Coach Julian is, you know, he's somebody that people will still talk about. I mean, like, let's face it, the Buffalo Sabres are, are a hot mess. 
Ralph Kruger, who was a kind of an odd hire at the time, when you think about someone who hadn't coached, hadn't been around hockey for six years. He was in soccer over in Europe. Um, and I like Ralph as a person, but it just seems like it's just falling apart now. They, are, you know, they could probably use an experienced guy like a Julian or like a Boudreaux or somebody that right. can come in there that understands you know, how, what it's like to be successful in the National Hockey League. So, you know, that their life will go on for these guys as they get fired. We've seen it over many years, and now the Montreal Canadiens, they've started off 0-2, although they had a good effort in Winnipeg the other night, but they've got to try to pick up the pieces and get their act together. Luckily, they're in a division where I think they still have, you know, a little cushion as long as they don't fall off the map because, you know, Calgary and Vancouver don't look like they're really in gear either at this point. So, uh, you know, maybe that's where that last spot is between Montreal, Calgary, and Vancouver. Yeah, it does seem that way, and it just – can't seem to win at home, only winning three of their their first eight games at home. You know, goaltending yeah. has been great, so there's a lot there. But you're right, even with all their issues, they're still in fourth place, a point of he- yeah. ahead of the Flames with two games in hand. So yep. it's, it's not going to take much to still be one of the top four teams in that division. Uh, let's give some love to the Wild. Six straight wins now, second place yeah. in the West. Uh, Everson has done a, a really good job there in Minnesota. Yeah, I mean, I think that... Uh... You know they they made some changes in the off season. I think they had I think they really they had a good group there last year. Like they had a terrible start last year with Bruce was coaching there Boudreaux and uh, you know I thought at that time that might have been the time that he would be fired. I think they were one and seven to start last year. They had all kinds of problems and then they kind of righted the ship and actually they were as good as anybody for three months. I mean after that their numbers were good, but you know you can see a new general manager had come in and wanted to make a change and Bruce was in the final year of his deal so. They eventually made that decision, and uh, you know Dean Evison came in and finished the season, coached him in the return to play, and now has had him to start this season. And uh, you know he's got something there that they haven't, you know, that certainly Bruce Boudreau didn't have when he was there was Kirill Kaprizov, who's been, you know, a terrific addition for them. He's leading their team in scoring with 17 points. He's a plus player. He's playing more than 18 minutes a night. He's had great chemistry so far with Matt Zuccarello, who's recently returned to that lineup. Those two, along with Victor Rask, have been a really good line. Uh, you know, the kid goalie, Capo Kakinen, who I, I thought might get an opportunity to play, has, has come in and has been pretty good so far this year. He's got a 9.15 save percentage in, in 12 games. He's had to play a lot because Cam Talbot has been out with uh, COVID issues and injuries. So uh, now Talbot is back. They just ended up losing Alex Daylock on waivers today to Edmonton, so that's you know that could be a concern if they have any injuries within their group. But uh, you know in the crease, but uh, you know they, the question for Minnesota was going to be you know how strong would they be down the middle? They really don't have a strong group of centermen, but you know so far they're getting by with you know Eric Sinek is in, is taking a step up. Rask has been good between those really two clever players and. Uh, you know, they're finding a way, and they still have a strong defense, you know, when you think about, you know, Suter and Brodine and Dumba. So, uh, you know, they're an interesting group. I'll be curious to see how they how things go against Vegas tonight. Um, you know, that'll be a challenge. But, uh, you know, Minnesota, again, when you take out the bad start from last year, you know, they had some pretty good numbers last year, and now they've added a really high-end player in Kaprizov. So uh, they're more fun to watch, and they got those great uniforms. Oh, that game against the Kings. That was just so aesthetically pleasing, wasn't it? <laughs> He's just like, forget about the quality of the game or whatever, which was good, but it just, I, I just couldn't keep my eyes off them. I'm watching highlights just to see those colors. Yes, it was, uh, I, I tweeted it out. It was glorious. It was glorious. It was, you know, what the only thing that could have been better is if they had taken, like, 
they t- they they put like different color seats in the building and make it like the old Met Center in Minnesota in the eighties when they had all those different color seats, you know, uh, in the lower bowl. And, uh, you know, it was just totally a throwback to that time. And, uh, when we had a lot of more colorful uniforms in hockey and, uh, those two were awesome. So it was fun to watch it. It was a great game. That dub of beating the buzzer. Yeah. I think it was 0.3 seconds left when he scored the game winner in overtime. And, uh, you know, Minnesota and LA have actually had some really good games this year. Both teams have They've been kind of surprisingly good, and uh, they've had three games go to overtime, and I think Minnesota has won all three. So think about the swinging points there between those two teams. You know, if LA had gotten those points, they'd be sitting in second place probably instead of Minnesota. So, uh, you know, that's the way it goes. And that's, they've been, those games in the West have been more competitive than, you know, than we could even imagine. And think about San Jose and St. Louis the other night. Was it 7-6 or 8-7 or some kind oh, of crazy yeah. game that was? So there's, that was there's been some wild games all around the NHL this year. Bet the over. That's my advice. Um, the old yeah. uh, Neil Smith, take a look at the goal differential. Just, oh, it just never disappoints. Every single yeah. playoff team is in the plus category. And, and the, only, the only teams outside the playoffs, there's only, I think, two. The Kings yeah. and the uh, – that might just, – just looking at the standings really quick. Kings well, and Dallas. Dallas the only one. two teams. Yeah. And, and we're talking about plus yeah. four for the Kings, plus one yeah. for Dallas. But it's just Dallas, amazing. Yeah. Like you could just look at the standings and the teams in green are in the playoffs. The teams in red are out. Like, it's it's yeah. crazy. And so when you look at the Eastern Division, and I thought that it was going to be a six-team race for four. But, but clearly – Rangers, Devils, Sabers. Even though there's still time, I, I don't think they're playoff teams. I'm starting to think Pittsburgh's not either. I mean, do we have our four teams in the East? Well, you can't write off Pittsburgh just because they've been able to hang in. I mean, really, they're they're what three points behind the Islanders, who are in third, and they have a game in hand. They're uh, they're two points behind Philly, but Philly has two games in hand on them. Um, so I, I think it's still wide open. I think the fascinating thing about Pittsburgh is just their ability to win games in overtime or shootout. Which I can mean, be fool's in, gold sometimes, the EJ. I, listen, I agree with you, but they're getting points. It's, it's not about whether it's like, – listen, I, don't, I, I have questions about the Penguins. And at the start of the season, I had them out. And so I too, will yeah. I be surprised if they don't make it? No, I won't be surprised if they don't make it. But the amazing thing, again, is they found ways to get games to overtime and then not only do that, but then get the game and then get the points. I mean, their record against the Islanders this year is what's keeping them in the mix. It's true. I mean, if the Islanders could have, uh, you know, could have done a little bit better against Pittsburgh thus far, the Islanders would be probably in first place in the division and not having to worry about Pittsburgh being right on their tail. But because the Penguins have been able to find ways to beat the Islanders, here we are. So, you know, the... It's the old story. I mean, they have Crosby, Malkin, Latang. I mean, it's hard to count. It's hard to argue against those guys. And remember another thing about the Penguins. They've got eight games left against Buffalo and eight games left against New Jersey. And I know they've struggled with the Devils from time to time over the last couple of years, but that's 16 games against okay. the two teams who are at the bottom of the division. So, you know, that is something to consider as well. So who would you worry about if Pittsburgh were to make it? Everybody. <laughs> really? All the other. I mean, I think let's face it. I mean, it seems like Washington has got their act together again. Although I'm, you know, I'm still. I watch them play, and you know, there's times I wonder about them. But you know, they're sitting in first place right now. You know, Boston has two games in hand. They're right behind them. I got. I get the sense those teams will be there. Philadelphia has played fewer games than anybody in the division except the Devils. 
But, you know, they're 11 and 4. And I think how many of their losses have come to Boston? Like all of them? I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, right. they haven't, they've been really good against everybody else. So in the end, I might be stuck where I originally was, was between the Islanders and Pittsburgh, maybe in that division. But, you know, it's so tight. I know. It's going to be hard. There's five points that separate those five teams. I mean, four of them are going to be in, one of them's going to be out. If you ask me today, I think Pittsburgh will be the team that's going to be out. But that said, I won't be surprised if they get in just because no. they have found ways to steal points well, they got the, the first uh, 20 games of their season. I mean, They've they got have a lot of guys there that have been there so and done that, and that does help. That's right. For sure. Yep, and no I, But I, 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 no I'm question. with you. I didn't have them making the playoffs this year. I, mean, I think – They've been exposed in the postseason the last couple of years to Montreal, getting swept yep. by the Islanders. So you kind of see that I don't think they're at that level. But over, you know, if they were an 82-game schedule, different format, they're a playoff team. But but in this situation, and it's interesting you bring up the Islanders because I brought it up on Friday on the podcast. The Islanders are a team that, unless they're playing Boston, because it's just amazing the number they have on, on the Bruins. But, you know, they could – Oh, like those old devil teams twenty years ago, where you kind of you, you teeter on making the playoffs, and then what do you do when you make the playoffs? You're built perfect for it, right? Like here's an Islander team yeah. that might miss just because of circumstances, but if they were to get in, I could totally see them coming out of the East in the playoffs because they just seem built yeah, for I the mean, postseason. Yeah, they are. They are built for the postseason. They've got a good goalie, and you know Sorokin played well yesterday, and that went against Pittsburgh. So he's starting to find his game. You know, there's there are a lot of high expectations on on what he's going to be for that franchise moving forward. Um, you know, I would just say they're like a lot of teams. You know, can they weather the the kind of nature of this season with so many games? Can they stay relatively healthy? Nobody's going to get through it perfectly healthy, but can they? You know, last year when they lost uh, Adam Pellick in the midseason, I mean, they really their play dropped off. Then when he came back and he was able to play in the return to play, they made it to the Final Four. So, you know, there's some guys within that group, Pellick, Pulak, that are really important to their team, and those guys have to stay healthy and stay, and, and continue to play well. But uh, I agree with you. I think if they get into the playoffs, they're, they're probably a hard out because they're really well coached and they know how to play uh, what we would say is playoff hockey, really hard, tough, strong defensive hockey. You want to buzz through some tweets? Let's buzz. All right, Tommy P says, I'm thrilled with what the Blackhawks have done so far, but I don't want to get too excited about a possible postseason spot, especially when they're about to play Tampa and Florida. When can I think playoffs is a real possibility? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's a – I mean, when you look at it right now, I, I think you have to say it's a possibility just from the standpoint of Columbus is, is kind of on a treadmill to nowhere, as is Nashville, right? Nashville – their only time, the only games they really can consistently win are against Columbus. And Columbus has had trouble with Chicago this year. They've played a bunch of times, and Chicago's got, already gotten a bunch of those points. Yes, Chicago, when they play Tampa and Florida, like everybody in that division, that will be a challenge. And, you know, we'll see how they, can, how they manage in those games. But, uh, you know, they've put themselves in a position through their first 23 games where, you know, they've got, you've got to consider them having a chance to, to – to get to the playoffs, just because again, Columbus is in a is in a little bit of a free fall right now, and that team doesn't look right. And Nashville, I mean, how do we really trust Nashville, right? Moving forward, it seems like you know I got to see them beat somebody else other than Columbus. And then there's Dallas, which is currently hovering at the bottom of the division, but really only because of the fact that they've played so many fewer games. So that's a, right. that's the you know a plus and a minus, right? They have plenty of games to make up, plenty of opportunities to get points but yet they're going to have to play like 40 games in like 70 days, 
which is going to be really stressful. And they're going to have to do it with Ben Bishop still not around at least until the end of March into early April. So that's a really a, a, a heavy load on Anton Hudobin and Jake Ottinger. So, and they're still missing Tyler Sagan there. So if you're the Chicago Blackhawks, of course you don't want to get ahead of yourself. And there's half a season to play for them or thereabouts. But, you know, what they've done so far has been impressive. And, you know, I don't think Patrick Kane is going to slow down. I mean, he's playing great hockey. And if they can continue to get really good goaltending from Lankinen or, or Subban, which they have been getting, they're going to have a shot just because those other teams, I mean, like I said, Columbus and Nashville don't impress me. And Dallas, and even with all the games in hand, they've been struggling. So Chicago's yeah. got a shot. Um, a little presumptuous here, but Eli asks, will Jack Eichel to the Rangers happen before the deadline or during the offseason? <laughs> uh, you know, it'll be really interesting to see what happens with Jack Eichel. I mean, first things first in Buffalo, I would fire Ralph Gruger. I probably would do it today if I was the Buffalo Sabres. And I know that, like, you know, they've had a million people come in and out of there, right? But think about the last two coaches, Phil Housley and Ralph Kruger. Right. Add up their head coaching experience in their careers, and it's not a lot, in a situation where they need to kind of figure things out. Now, you could say to me, well, they had Dan Bilesman. He was an experienced guy. He was a cup winner. That didn't work out. That's true. But that doesn't mean that you just go out and hire every novice and hope it works out with those people. I mean... Not that those guys are novices, Housley or, or Ralph Kruger, but, I mean, it's, it's hard to be learning on the job. I mean, Ralph didn't have a lot of experience coming into the job, was out of the NHL for six years, involved with soccer. He had a short stint as the coach of, you know, the, uh, you know, the Team Europe at the World Cup of Hockey, which was a successful run. But, I mean, he had the very best players in a lot of those countries, led by Andrzej Kopitar, who was a pretty darn good player. So... You know, for me, that's the first thing I would do, and I would look for an experienced coach, and I would try to find somebody to come in there, and you know, that could come in there at least try to right that ship. And then you got to sit down with Jack Eichel, and you've got to figure out, okay, what's the plan moving forward? This guy is still horse. And if the Rangers, you know, Ranger fans are listening to this, if they want to get Jack Eichel, I mean, you're not getting him for like you know a nickel and a dime. I mean, you're going to have to trade significant pieces and, and several of them. And I'm not saying that it would not, maybe not be worth it. It might be worth it because he sets your team up, in my opinion, as a number one center. But anybody that's going to get Jack Eichel, if he decides that he wants to leave and if the Buffalo Sabres decide they, they think it's in their best interest to trade him, I would have to think you would have to get four really good pieces. And uh, a lot of teams don't have that. you know. And even the Rangers... They have some really high-end young players within their group that they might consider moving for Eichel, but they don't have a really high-end center to trade in return. So that's the challenge with making a deal there. But, uh, you know, we'll see. But uh, it's kind of crazy there, and it's amazing to think that we could even have this conversation because although Jack has struggled the start of this year, I mean, a big, strong, skilled center like him, I mean, they do not come out of nowhere. They don't grow on trees. As I used to say, you can't go in the NHL store. We used to work there and pick it off the rack and take it to the register and pick one up. I mean, right. You just can't get them. So uh, you would have to, he would have to convince me that he just does not want to be there anymore. And then I would have to get significant assets in return. And I'm thinking about like when the Flyers ended up with Peter, For traded Peter Forsberg for Eric Lindros. I'm talking about those kind of numbers, three, four, five significant assets 
to get a player like that. And I don't know if anybody wants to do that. So that's make, that's what makes it hard. All right. Got a couple of minutes to squeeze in a couple of more. Richard had asked right. me this question last week, but he wants to ask it to you uh, relating to okay. the plus-minus stat. Uh, why do the yeah. best of this era, Kane and Ovi, have a much lower career plus-minus than others like Clark and Gretzky? Does it reflect players' attention to D? Well, I'll say one thing about plus-minus, and I'll credit this to Tommy Kervis, who when I was scouting, I used to sit next to in the press box, and uh, Tom Kervis is just a great guy. Played in the NHL for, for many years and has been involved in scouting and, oh. and management. I believe he's in Minnesota now. He was in Tampa, and He's Devil fans should love him. That's how they got Scott Niedemeyer. That's right. That's right. And, <laughs> but he was a good player, and he's gone yeah. through a real battle with cancer. And, uh, you know, we wish that nothing but the best for Tommy and hope that he's doing well. But in our conversations way back when, and he was an offensive-minded defenseman, and he used to talk about that stat. He'd say, you know, offensive-minded defensemen or offensive players in general, it's tough because, you know, they normally at the end of games when, when there's an empty net situation – you're out there with your, your best defensive players and your checkers trying to shut that down. So there's not as many opportunities for those kind of goals. But when you're losing in games by a goal eight or two, you're pushing, and especially for defensemen, offensive defensemen, they're jumping up in the play, they're jumping up in the play, they're trying to make things happen. And, then, of course, what happens when you do that? You leave yourself uh, at risk for being scored on when, when odd man rushes the other way. So his feeling was always like, you know, yeah. and I always felt the same way. That's just another number, and you take it with a, a little bit of a grain of salt, and you, you try to weigh in different factors. And I always look when somebody's a really high minus or a really high plus that, you know, it's more than coincidence that they're that way. But that said, when you talk about offensive players like Ovechkin and, and Kane, I think is the two examples, that those guys are always out there in situations when the team is losing and they're trying to push, and sometimes you know it doesn't work for you. So that's when you end up with minuses that maybe somebody else wouldn't get because of that situation. So that, that's all I would say about it. And uh, you know, again, I think it's just one number, like a lot of different numbers. There's even more numbers in this game now, and they all need to be put in some sort of context in terms of the individual, and they just paint a little bit of a picture of of who that guy is. so uh, But keep that in mind when you're thinking about plus-minus is that the offensive players are always out there in situations where they, late in games, where they can be a minus when they normally, mm-hmm. where other guys wouldn't be. So there right, you go. Do... Tommy Curvers, my hat's off. There you go. Uh, 20 seconds for each one of these. It might take longer, but I'm only okay. giving you 20. Uh, Steven okay. says, uh, what is it going to take for the Devils to understand that the PK is broken and needs it fixed? They understand very well that it's broken. When it's at sixty percent, they understand very well it's broken. They have, a, you know what? They have a number of new pieces there. They're trying to figure it out. They'll work on it every day. They're starting from a really bad range, so like, you know, it's never going to be great this year on a on a big picture basis unless they kill like seventy consecutive power plays, which isn't going to happen. But they got some work to do there, no question, and they're just not in sync right now. When I watch their penalty kill, it's not very good, and they're not even, you know, their strength, their team is Mackenzie Blackwood, and even even he has, you know, had has been uh, has had some struggles in those situations. So yeah, they got work to do. Open. They know it, and it's going to take time. It's going to take time to fix. Just wide open in front of the net guys on the power, especially. But you're going oh, against some teams like you know terrible. Caps, very good on the power play. Um, Bruins, yeah. that's going to happen. Caps torched them. I mean, that's an, that's another thing too to remember. Now you know they've played. You know. It, you're in this division with eight teams. I mean, Boston has a good power play. Washington has a good power play. 
I mean, the Islanders' power play isn't terrible. I mean, Philadelphia's got guys that can score on their power play. But, I mean, like, you're facing pretty good players every night on the power play in this division, as you probably are in all these divisions right now. So, But they just have, like I said, they have new personnel there, and uh, they're trying to figure it out, and they know it's they know it's broken, so they're working on it. All right, and quickly, Chris, the resident Flyer fan, uh, just to condense it, is there any ru- truth to these rumors at home to the Flyers? Well, I think Matthias Ekholm would be a terrific addition for somebody. I mean, he's a big, lanky, hard-to-play-against experienced defenseman. He's had experience in a Stanley Cup final. So uh, there's a lot to like there. He's on, a re- he's on a real reasonable contract. I think he's got another year after this. Something to consider if you're going to acquire a player like that is can you keep him beyond this year because of the expansion, right? I mean, can you protect him? Which is, I think, if you get a player like that, you probably want to keep him and protect him. So that's something else to consider it makes it a little bit of unusual circumstances but i would think that philly would be interested i think there'd be a i think there'd be a lot of teams lined up to get matthias Ekholm. as we've talked about for many years now don there's never you never have enough defensemen especially if you think you're going to make a run deep into the playoffs he's a real good one and uh i'm sure there'll be a lot of interest if the national Predators decide to move him this is a pleasure and uh good luck to your son with his as thumb. always hope he feels better thank you Appreciate that, and good how, luck to their team you, as well. Two. Thank you, thank you. We're, we're, we'll give it our best shot this weekend. How's uh, how are your two little ones doing? Everybody okay? Very well. I mean, I was very proud. Um, my wife had uh, a Montreal Canadiens T-shirt on this morning, getting him ready for school, and Jalen's like hockey okay. pointed to it, so she didn't need to see nice. a stick at a puck to know that uh, that uh-huh. was a hockey logo. There you go. You know, Marco's jumping, flipping, throwing everything that he can. So nice, stereotypical nice. boys and girls. And, I, and honestly, I, if it wasn't for the pandemic, I would probably try to get them on skates. They want to skate whenever they see a hockey game. They want to do that. You know, yeah. they're three years, three months. So I think that might be the time to at least try, right? I, I think you can maybe get them on the ice. Yeah, give it a shot at that stage. I, I think that's probably a time to see if you know how the how they feel about it it's it's tricky it's a hard thing to learn but hey it's fun and they might love it and if they love it then you never know and really as we just saw last night at Madison Square Garden right they had the 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 uh, women's professional hockey players association had the big night and had a game last night the emphasis on women's hockey is it's just gaining more and more interest and traction and uh you know you never know. You got a young girl there. Maybe uh, you know. Maybe she'll have an interest in it down the road. I tried to push my daughter into that as a young girl, but she was having none of it. And uh, you know, she ended up doing competitive cheer and other things, and she's done very well. But you know, when you can, there is a lot of you know, do the title nine. There's a lot of great opportunities for girls who could be good at hockey in college. So mm-hmm. something to consider. <laughs> no, definitely. And and was there anything less surprising than that game was called by Kenny Albert? No, Kenny. If, listen, if games are not called by you or Kenny Albert, I don't think they're being played. Right. So, <laughs> you know, I, I just think it's a fantasy. I mean, it's either you or Kenny doing games. So, you know, but uh, Kenny is doing everything. Yeah, so, he, did, you know, he, did. And he did a great job. And that's you know, it's tricky, right? I mean, to jump in as you know, because you do this all the time, like to jump in and do a women's game. You know, after doing all kinds of, you know, NHL games. I mean, you have to reacquaint yourself with, like, who a lot of these women are. Some of them are very high-profile women that we know. 
but, uh, you know, Kendall Coyne or Hillary Knight or players like that. But there's others that are newcomers or are, are less high profile. And you have to know who those players are as well and know the story. So I'm not surprised that uh, Kenny did a good no. job with it. But it was a big night for the, for the women to be on the ice at Madison Square Garden. And it was an entertaining game. and had some great performances. And uh, I think they're going to do it again in Chicago. They're eventually going to play one in Toronto. And they're pushing to try to kind of make sense of it all moving forward for a women's professional league down the road. So these things are all, they come with time, and I, mm-hmm. wish, I wish the uh, the women nothing but the best. And we poke fun, but, you know, Kenny's great, and he did the doubleheader because he also did oh, Rangers yeah. Bruins on NBC right. yesterday and jumps right in. Yeah, he you just, were on the radio. It was fun. Games it was, don't get, if the games are, the, if you or Kenny are not doing these games, they don't get played. So God bless you <laughs> well, both. Maybe yeah. on occasion, but... I do and appreciate I'll let you it, buddy. On one little secret. I'll let you. In, I'll let you in on one secret before I go. I will be calling an NHL game for the NHL Network in April, I believe. Awesome for the for the NHL Showcase games that we're doing. Uh, we'll be. I guess we do it out of the caucus off the monitor, and I am going to get an opportunity to do one of the games, maybe two, so the viewers can look forward to you know watching and then being very critical. No, my performance. <laughs> you've done it before. You're wonderful. I can't wait to watch it. Let me know well, when that is. It'll be so. fun. It'll be fun. I definitely will. I definitely will. I'll be looking for advice because I'll be a nervous wreck, but uh, it should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. That is the great EJ Raddick. We will talk to you next Monday. All right. Great, Don LaGreca. Always a pleasure. <laughs> All right. That's, that's EJ Raddick. Tries to join us uh, once a week here on the podcast. Got a bunch of games tonight before we get out of Dodge. A lot, uh, two at seven. Hurricanes and the Panthers from Florida. Hurricanes have been struggling a little bit. Panthers looking good at 13-4-3. Flames and the Senators from Ottawa at 8 o'clock. The Jets coming off uh, stealing one against Montreal on Saturday. will be home for Vancouver. The Red Hot Wild, winners of six in a row, will be at 10 o'clock tonight in Vegas against the Golden Knights. Ducks home for the Blues. Talk to Tarasenko. Could be back possibly for this game or their next game. That's going to be a big help to what has been a very average Blues team this year. Uh, Worth staying up for at 10 o'clock, the Leafs and the Oilers from Edmonton, and at 10.30, the Sharks and the Avalanche from San Jose. Want to get in touch with me at Don LaGreca, hashtag Game Misconduct. We will talk to you again on Wednesday. This was the Monday edition of Game Misconduct. This is the Game Misconduct Podcast with Don LaGreca.